Good morning, everybody. Great to see you guys. This is a super fun day, isn't it? There's so much Christmassy stuff going on. And we are glad that you joined us here to worship together. We also hope that you get to go outside and see the live nativity if you haven't done that yet and get uh, coffee from Traveling Tom's Coffee Truck. And hey, I need to thank everyone who made all these things possible today. Uh, just a, a lot of people um, you know, contributed to that, and we appreciate that. I also need to say another thank you related to what happened to last week. Uh, many of you know that in the month of December, Plum Creek partnered with some of our local schools, and we collected laundry items and snack packs to share with local people in need. And our goal specifically was 175 bottles of Tide. And when all was said and done, we had 199 bottles of Tide, which was really cool. That was awesome. And thank you to everyone who gave. Uh, I want to pray that all the families who receive these things will be blessed by God. And I want to pray over our time today. Let's pray. Father, I, I just thank you for this chance to worship you and to focus on the true meaning of this season. Uh, I pray that uh, everyone here right now, everyone listening, uh, will be blessed by you and, and these families uh, that uh, we've reached out to, I pray that they will be blessed as well. And I know the greatest blessing of all is Jesus. And so I, I just pray that you will help us to focus on him right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are in week three of our sermon series called He Shall Reign. And as we begin, I want to tell you about something kind of goofy that I do sometimes with my kids. Uh, a lot of you know about this feature on your smartphone called predictive text. Now, in case you don't know about that, here's how it works. Uh, as you type out your text, your phone tries to guess what word you want to say next. And that way you can just tap a word instead of typing the whole thing out. It's pretty nice. So between me and the kids, we sometimes let the phone write our texts for us. And the results can be kind of entertaining. I'll give you a couple examples. A few days ago, I typed the word why. And then it gives you several suggestions. And, and what we do is you choose the first word every time. So here I chose why are... And then from there, here's, here's what I ended up with. Why are you so mean to me? I don't know why you are so mean to me. It's a fun thing to send to your kids. It's just kind of random and goofy. Sometimes uh, you end up with something really strange. Uh, for instance, this week I, I started with my wife's name, Hannah. And here's what my phone wrote. Hannah said the government would not be able to provide any information about the case until the court is satisfied with the verdict. <laughs> That's a little disturbing. Does my phone know something I don't know? Makes you wonder. So why am I telling you about this? Well, the other day, I started a text with the name Jesus. And I was really curious about this one. What would my phone say about Jesus? Well, here was the result. It said, Jesus is a good guy, and I think he would be a great addition to the team. <laughs> it's really interesting, isn't it? What do you think about that? 
I mean, on the one hand, it's a positive message. Jesus is a good guy. I can't argue with you there. But there is also a problem with this phrase. And here's the problem. Jesus is much, much more than a great addition to the team. A lot of times, though, that's exactly how we relate to Jesus, isn't it? It's kind of like, yeah, absolutely. I want Jesus on my team. I, 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 I would love to have him as a companion. I'd love to have his help. I'm I'm even glad to have him as a coach. I'd love to have his input. But I don't want to give him complete control of my life. I don't want him to be my king. But let's remember the title of this series, He Shall Reign. That's not some abstract idea. This is who Jesus is. He is the king of all kings. He deserves all of our allegiance, all of our devotion. He deserves to be at the very center of our lives. But most of us struggle with that, right? We struggle to give him the place that he deserves. Christmas is a perfect example of that. Jesus is supposed to be the the reason for this season. But we get so focused on other things. For some of us, uh, there's a lot of joy in this season. Decorations and presents and get-togethers with friends and family. And these things all that just draw our attention. For others, this season is full of stress. Or maybe sadness. Maybe loneliness. Now, most of us do think about Jesus this time of year. It's, it's hard to get too far without seeing a nativity scene. But... What place does Jesus really have in our lives? Is he mainly a great addition to the team? Is he a companion? Is he a coach? Or is he your king? Well, here's the goal for this morning. Our goal is to give Jesus the place he deserves. Not just here at Christmas, but in all of life. And this goal is super important for a couple of reasons. Number one... This is what life is all about. We were created for him, not the other way around. But there's another important thing about this goal. It's it's important because (laughs) this is the path to freedom. If you are stressed right now or sad or overwhelmed, this is where you find true joy and true peace. So to pursue this goal, we're going to look at the passage of Scripture that's the theme for this entire series, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Now, if you're just joining us, uh, this this passage might seem like an odd choice for a Christmas series. Uh, It doesn't mention Bethlehem or the manger or swaddling clothes or shepherds or angels, because this passage tells a story that's bigger than Christmas. It's it's the big picture story of Jesus, past, present, and future. So first, I want to go back and review what we talked about the last couple of weeks. Uh, Let's read Philippians 2, verses 5 through 7. And remember, this is the Apostle Paul writing here. He's writing to a group of Christians, and Paul says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. In other words, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you should follow his example. It's common sense, right? But what example did Jesus leave us? 
Well, look at verse 6. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Now, do you remember where we can find Christmas in these verses? Christmas is right there at the end of verse 7, being made in human likeness. Merry Christmas. That's what happened at Bethlehem, right? Jesus was born as a human being, just like you and I were. But as we saw in the beginning of verse 6 there, Jesus was no ordinary man. He was in very nature God, which means his life did not begin in Bethlehem. He has always been. And this is one of the amazing things about Christmas. When Jesus came into the world, he set aside his God status to become human. And that is crazy when you think about it. Because Jesus had power and knowledge and authority beyond our wildest imagination. But he made the decision. He chose to set that aside and become a helpless baby. The theological term for that is the incarnation, when God became a man. And this is a shocking act of humility that he would do this. Jesus, uh, Jimmy preached about this last week, uh, verse 7 there. Jesus took on the nature of a humble servant. That's also a shock. When, when Jesus showed up, everyone in the world should have dropped to their knees, fallen on their faces to worship him. But that's not what happened. I, Jesus said, no, I'm not asking you to serve me right now. I'm here to serve you. And how did he serve us? Well, that brings us to verse 8. And uh, this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time today. So let's read this verse, Philippians 2, verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, at Christmas time, when you see a picture of Jesus, it's usually the baby in the manger. And that's great. That's appropriate. That's the incarnation. But here in verse 8, we see that Jesus was born for a purpose. He came on a mission. And ultimately, he was born to die. Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty that you and I deserve to pay because of our sins. And that is the greatest gift that anyone has ever given you. So, let me ask you this. Now that we've read this verse, Philippians 2.8, are you excited? Are you pumped? Are you full of gratitude right now? Some of us would probably say, yeah, absolutely, yes, I am. If we're being honest, though, I bet some of us would say, I can't, can't say I'm excited. <laughs> Why is that? Well, some of us, I think, We've heard this message so many times, it doesn't have the same impact that it used to. And then others might read that, maybe you're not that familiar with it, and it doesn't seem very relevant in your life. But whatever, wherever you're coming from this morning, we're going to do our best to take Philippians 2.8 and make it personal. 
I have four statements to share with you. And these statements can help you internalize this verse and see how it does connect with your life. But listen, for these statements to work, they, they can't be abstract ideas. They, they have to be personal declarations. You, you have to say, hey, I have seen that this is true. These things are true in my life. I've experienced this. So let's go through these four statements one at a time. Here's the first one. The incarnation was good, but it wasn't enough. Remember verse 7. Jesus was God in the flesh. He was made in human likeness. And like we said, this is Christmas. This is the incarnation. And it's a great thing. By the way, why is that so great? Well, the incarnation is, is great because it means God didn't leave us alone on this planet. God came near Because of Jesus and the incarnation, we know that God sees us and he cares about us. But like that statement says, the incarnation wasn't enough. Think about it. Jesus grew up to be this great teacher, a miracle worker, and and he gave us a perfect example. He lived a perfect life. But if that's all Jesus was, a great teacher and a perfect example for us, Where would that leave us? Well, the best we could do is look at Jesus, look at that perfect life, and try to copy how he lived. And you and I both know we we can't do that. We would fail miserably. Outside of Christianity, every other religion, every other belief system has something in common. The goal of every other religion is to reach some kind of moral standard through human effort. You're just trying as hard as you can to be good enough. That's called moralism. We we talked about that a couple weeks ago. Moralism is exhausting. It's also depressing because we can't do it. We, we can't measure up to any moral standard that we're trying to reach. Uh, even if you don't believe in God, even if you come up with your own moral standard, you're still not going to reach it. I've seen this many times. Uh, somebody will say, I don't believe in organized religion. I just try to make the world a better place. Well, if that's your moral standard, it's a good goal. But I guarantee you, there will be times in your life when you're making this world worse instead of better. That's just how we are. Nobody can keep up the effort 24 hours a day, seven days a week. All of us are morally and spiritually broken. And again, outside of Christianity, every other religious system is based on moralism. But following Jesus, it's not the same thing as religion. Uh, Jesus doesn't present us with another version of moralism. He offers us the only real cure to our moral and spiritual brokenness. Some people say that it's arrogant and narrow-minded to say that Jesus is the only way to God. But it's, it's not true. There's an illustration that I think is helpful. Imagine that you have an illness, and you've got some serious symptoms, and you're concerned about that, and you go see a series of doctors, 
And the first three doctors tell you basically the same thing. They say, ah, this is no big deal. You're going to be fine. Uh, all you need to do is get some rest, drink plenty of fluids, try really hard to get better, and before you know it, you'll be back to normal. But now imagine that I'm a doctor, and you come to get my opinion, and I tell you, no, I'm sorry. This is a big deal. What you have is terminal. If you just try to rest up and get better, you're going to die. Now, in that situation, would you call me narrow-minded and just walk away? I don't think so. Now, you may not know really who to believe, but I think you'd want to get to the bottom of this, find out if my diagnosis is accurate. This takes us back to Jesus. Jesus says, no, your problem can't be solved by trying hard. It's way more serious than that. Because we all have this nature, this tendency where we're drawn to sin, we're, we're drawn to rebellion against God. You and I don't have it in us to meet God's standard of goodness. The Bible tells us that all of us are sinners, and sin brings serious consequences. That takes us to our second statement. I sinned against God, and somebody has to pay. Somebody has to pay for my sin. In Romans 6.23, Paul explains that we all deserve the death penalty. Paul said the wages of sin, what you deserve, what you have earned because of your sin is death, eternal separation from God. And for our sins to be removed, somebody has to die. Somebody has to pay the penalty. The author of Hebrews says it this way, Hebrews 9.22, he says, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Now, I could understand somebody reading that and saying, but why? <laughs> if God is good and loving and he wants to forgive, why does anybody have to be punished? Why can't God just say, hey, uh, you guys were jerks, you made some terrible decisions, but I happen to know you weren't treated very well as a child. So here's what I'm going to do. Um, we're just going to forget about it. You're forgiven. No one has to pay for your sin. Why doesn't that work? A lot of people wonder about that, but there's another illustration that is helpful. Think about our prison system. In our prison system, there are a lot of people who have done some terrible things, right? What if our government came out and said, listen, everybody, we're making a big change. From now on, we've adopted a policy of forgiveness, and all crimes are forgiven. Uh, criminals are not required to spend any time in prison. So according to that policy, criminals would not have to pay for their crimes. But somebody still has to pay. In that scenario, society would pay as soon as the felons are released. There's no way around it. Sin requires payment. And for us, in the case of our sin, the payment is death. And we can pay for that, but it means hell, eternal death. But there was another way. 
someone could step in and pay the price for us, pay our debt. Now, this person would have to be perfect or they'd have their own sins to pay for. But there was one person who fit that description, and it's Jesus. That's the third declaration we can make. I can't fix my sin problem, but Jesus stepped in and he sacrificed himself in my place. Remember what we read in uh, Philippians 2, 8? It said, Jesus became obedient to death, death on a cross. What does that mean that Jesus was obedient? That's an interesting word to use there. Well, there's a, a passage in Hebrews that explains this really well. Hebrews 10, verse 8. And this is fascinating. This is a conversation between Jesus, God the Son, and God the Father. He's, he's speaking to the Father. And Jesus says, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. So in this verse, Jesus is talking about the Old Testament law system, which involved animal sacrifice. And long term, that system didn't work because at the end of the day, the blood of animals cannot pay for the sins of humans. But look at the next verse. Then Jesus said, here I am. I have come to do your will. Remember, speaking to God the Father. And then he sets aside the first, that old law system, set it aside to establish the second, a new system, a new covenant. And then by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. By that will. Whose will? It's the will of God the Father. So this is how Jesus became obedient to death. He was obedient to the Father's will and the Father's love. That's the motivation here. God loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus. He allowed his son to die so that you and I could be forgiven. Jesus, also being God, it gets confusing He made that decision as well. That's the only other option we have. You can't save yourself through moralism. If you're trying hard to be good enough, you will never be good enough. The reality is you have just two options. Either you get the death that you deserve, or Jesus gets the death that you deserve. And he already did his part. He was obedient to death. He went to the cross. He willingly chose to die and make that sacrifice. And he gave us the chance to declare this fourth and final statement, which is this. When I accepted the sacrifice of Jesus and surrendered my life to him, I found true freedom. Now, for some of us, this statement is already true. But if you have not surrendered your life to Jesus, it's actually not true. Not yet. It can be, but first, you need to get off the throne and let him be king. You need to let him rule and reign in your life. Give him the place that he deserves. And then, once you've surrendered your life to Jesus, Philippians 2.8 is very personal. The, the death of Jesus brought you life, eternal life. And so you're free. 
You're free from the guilt of sin. You're, you're free from that exhausting, depressing life of moralism where it's just failure after failure. You're also free from that feeling like you're not good enough and you'll never be good enough. You're free from that because now when God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Christ and you are totally loved and accepted by God. And that truth gives you strength for today, no matter what you're facing. That truth gives you hope for tomorrow, the promise of eternal life. Like I said, these four statements, they, they can't be just abstract ideas. This has to show up in real life. And we have a great real life example here this morning. Derek Walker is a relatively new member of our church. And I asked Derek if he would share some of his story and he agreed. So let's watch this video together. Hi, my name is Derek Walker, and I'm a member here at Plum Creek, and I've been going here since about the week before Thanksgiving of last year. Uh, about a couple days ago, Doug reached out to me through email, and he was interested in my journey on how I came about um, finding Jesus. And the question he presented to me is, what has Jesus done in my life? And in order to answer that, I have to kind of back it up a little bit to my younger years. And I was I played all sorts of sports, and one in particular um, is baseball. And I was a pitcher. And when you're a pitcher in baseball, you pretty much control the tempo of the game. Um, and that's how I essentially lived my life. You know, I wanted to be in control. And when I got into my teens, I, um, my, my friends got their driver's license and I wanted a taste of that freedom, you know, and so they would pick me up, I would be out late partying with them, and my dad didn't really take too kindly of that, and so he thought he would control that and by grounding me. And the moment he fell asleep, I opened up my window and I snuck right out, got into the passenger seat of my, my friend's car and Sin was driving going wherever they went and just living life how I wanted to, to live it. And so when I got into my 20s, I continued that lifestyle. Um, I lived, uh, my paychecks that I got, I cashed it right to the bar. Um, didn't care, just wanted to do whatever I wanted to do. I, and so I met my wife through some mutual friends and, you know, she started to, to just be a, impact into my life and I was starting to fall in love with her. I knew I wanted to spend the rest of my life with this woman. And so eventually, you know, we started to get into a relationship and right there I just wanted to have a family with her. I asked her to marry me and me, I'm, I'm a, I got my high school GED and she's a college graduate. I, you know, it just doesn't weigh. So I had to make a career change with my life. And so I uh, applied to UPS for a driving position and lo and behold, I got it. I still felt like there was a void missing in my life. You know, my picturesque life still seemed like it was missing something. A few years later, um, I reconnected with a buddy that I went to high school with. You know, we, he was one of my friends that kind of ran around with. And he would reminisce on stories and stuff that brought absolute shame to me and you know I'm super embarrassed and I asked him I'm like 
how are you so, you know, able to do that without feeling the shame that I feel? And you're just, you know. And he said, through Jesus Christ, you know, I'm just redeemed. And I can look back at those knowing that going forward, uh, that's just not who I am anymore. And it kind of blew me away that, you know, that's, that's how he's living his life. And that's essentially what, what I want, you know. And that's when uh, the wife and I went around looking for, for churches and stuff to, so I could understand this guy, Jesus Christ, that my friend was talking about. At that time, I'm trying to make a, a change in myself. Growing up, I was, I sinned, I, I lied, I cheated, I, I was a thief, I, you know, did all sorts of things that would bring absolute shame to my life. And, and I thought I could control my life by, you know, reversing that and just trying to be a good, good member of society. Well, um, no matter what I did with my life, no matter how I try to, to right the wrong and steer the, shri the ship into the, the right direction, I still knew I needed Jesus. I was at the end of one of Doug's services and he's just expressing to, to everybody about if you want to make that change, come see me after church. And, you know, there was something inside of me that just compelled me to get up, walk over there, and just talk to him. And that's when I decided to give myself to Jesus right there. I walked down into the pool, got my feet in there. I'm like, man, this is it. This is so surreal. You're doing this. I believe, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus is the, Christ the, Son the Son of the living God, my Lord and my Savior. All right, Derek, because of your confession, because of your faith in Jesus, you're now being baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's unthinkable of like the emotions that were going through me because at that point, I'm like, you know, uh, Jesus just has me right there. And he's just like, welcome home. You know, I'm, I'm reading the Bible now and I'm learning how Jesus lived and how he was just a servant to, to everybody, you know, and how we really don't deserve it. And it's just a huge, powerful motivation to, to serve others as well. And not for myself, but for God. I hope that I can be that figure to my boys and continue to bring them here and Pray that they grow within the church like as I have and to become men. When someone is willing to share their testimony, I just appreciate this, that so much. So I, I want to thank Derek for doing that. And no matter who you are, there, there's a lot that we can learn from his story. For example, if, if you haven't given your life to Jesus yet, think about Derek's life. It, in those earlier years, he did whatever he felt like doing, whatever sounded fun. And where did that lead? It brought him guilt and shame and regret. Then later on, he tried to clean up his life. He, he tried to right those wrongs, but that didn't work either. 
Finally, he realized that the only way to true freedom is through Jesus. I love what Derek said when he got baptized. It was was like Jesus was telling him, welcome home. And that is truth right there. Now, for those of us who already follow Jesus, there's there's a lot that we can learn here too. I, I think about Derek's friend. He wasn't ashamed of his past. And why was that? Because he knew his sins were forgiven. He was redeemed by Jesus. It was paid for. Those sins are washed away. So if that's the case for you, and, and those old sins come back to haunt you, you don't have to you know, feel that, like, oh, I, I'm not good enough. I, I'm not sure if God accepts me. You, your sins are gone. But then I also think about this friend and the impact he had on Derek. He lived this life where he just represented Jesus really well. Derek saw the difference and he said, that's what I want. And that's really inspiring. That's the kind of person I want to be. I want to be different in a good way where where someone else sees Jesus in me and is drawn to him. And that's possible because when Jesus is your king and you truly put him at the center of your life, other people will notice. They'll see the difference. So right now in December of 2023, what step do you need to take to give Jesus the place that he deserves? Maybe you need to make that same decision that Derek made if you need to give your life to Jesus, if you need to be baptized into Christ, man, we encourage you to take that step. Uh, Just let us know that you're ready, and we'll help you every step of the way. There are different ways you could reach out to us uh, right after service. You could come see me down front here. You could stop at the Connection Cafe in the back of the room as you leave. Uh, You could take the the little tear-off sheet on your bulletin. Just mark that you'd like to talk to someone tear that off and drop it in the black box on your way out, or just send us an email. Whatever works for you. We just want you to find the freedom that we've found. But then for, for all of us who do follow Jesus, I think today is, is a time where we can refocus. We can stop focusing on other things and fix our eyes on Jesus. And, and think of some tangible ways that you could do that this week. For example, maybe you take the time to uh, get into God's Word. You could read the story of Christmas, maybe read it out loud as a family. Or maybe you, you follow the leading of Jesus in a specific way to maybe uh, serve someone in your life. Or, or maybe reach out to someone who needs Him. You could do something as simple as invite that person to church next week for the Christmas Eve service. I believe Jesus is always leading us to take some kind of step closer to him. So pray about that. Identify that step and then take it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the story of Christmas and what we learn about you through that. And I also thank you for the the bigger story, the story of redemption and how you loved us And you made a way for us to be with you forever. Lord, I pray that uh, we will live the kind of lives that represent you well. 
so that others see that difference and you can partner with us to lead people to Jesus. I pray that will happen uh, again and again and again. And we thank you for all the lives that have already been changed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.